Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. So thank you for inviting me. It's a privilege to be here. Always it's a privilege to be able to speak like this. And uh, I wanted to be able to talk to you about some things this morning that I think are important because I think it's going to help you uh, as you uh, come through this service and as you leave today. And I think it's going to help you this week. Obviously, if I didn't think it would help, I wouldn't be saying it. A number of years ago, I remember when my children were young. And of course, when we say nowadays, a number of years ago, we really know it's been a lot of years ago. Okay. But I was at, King, I was at uh, Disney World with my children. And if you've ever been to Disney World, you know at the end they have the parade and the big finale out in front of the big castle that many of us used to watch on Sunday night. How many of you know Sunday night, Disney, sometimes folks would watch and all this kind of thing. And so my, my children was, were there and they had the big finale and they were bringing all these characters out. And of course my daughter, and I could do it too possibly, she could sing almost every song of the characters. And my son, of course, at that age, was waiting for someone to come out with a sword, John Smith, maybe, or something like that. But he was all excited. They were around five and three or something like that. And I remember that at the end, as you may recall, of course, who comes out last? Mickey. So as Mickey's coming out, I don't know what happened to me. Because there's some things we just don't know. I don't know what happened to me. But I said, there's the man. Uh, and I've, that's, not, that's not all of it. I had tears in my eyes. And I thought, what is happening to me? I've just caught a rodent, the man, and I'm crying. And as a therapist, I could probably analyze that and figure all that out. But we're not going to go there today. I just didn't know what was happening. Some things you just don't know. Uh, a similar story to that. I had my children over at King's Island. And they were still elementary age, probably six and eight or something like that. And they were uh, afraid of coasters. How many, some of you remember the racer, which was the original coaster that they had at Kings Island. And they were like dueling racers out through there. And, and so my children wouldn't ride, but I discovered something that day. And you may know this already. I discovered that at Kings Island, if it's raining, they don't stop the roller coasters. Only if it's lightning. So I got on this coaster and it was raining. If you had an amazing experience to be on a coaster and have it be pummeling you with the rain. And I had a friend that would ride on that with me. And so as we're riding the coaster, it was beating us up. And we got back in some strange way that only there's something maybe even when you're an adolescent you would think is funny. But I was laughing because I'm getting beat up by the rain riding a roller coaster. So as I get off the coaster and I'm walking over I happened to see a woman who was coming and she was getting on the coaster and she was dressed in like a business suit. And every hair, she looked Jamaican. And she had every hair in place. And just everything was in place. I even had a handkerchief, I remember. So I told my friend, Jonna, I said, Jonna, I'm going to hang around for a bit here. You know, this wasn't one of my more mature moments. Okay, because this woman by herself got in the front seat. 
And so I was busying myself, you know, those little cubbies they have over there to put your stuff in when you're getting ready to get on the coaster. I was busying myself and probably the young man, we start saying that a lot more nowadays, but the young man saw me over there. He probably thought, oh, the old guy's probably losing traction. He's trying to find his stuff. Okay, so I'm over here and I'm digging through my stuff. But what I was really doing is I wanted to see her come back on that front seat because I had seen a woman literally flip her wig on that coaster when I was a boy, only to have the next coaster run right over her wig. So in a more mature moment, I was over here busying myself, wanting to see what she looked like when she got back. So all of a sudden, as you know, you can hear those coasters come in and it's, they're breaking that shh, shh noise. And so I try to be nonchalant about this. So I turn around and I happen to look over at her and she looks up at me like, I know why you're there. <laughs> but here's the thing. She was dry as a bone and every hair was in place. And even I know when hair's in place, it's in place. Okay? Every hair was in place and she was dry. And then, just for good measure, she takes her handkerchief out and she dabs her, chicken, her cheek and looks at me as if to say, Okay? Now, I don't know whose team she's on. I don't know. But I know it didn't make sense to me because there's just some things that we don't know. We don't know. Some of you may recall, I remember about a year or so ago, my brother-in-law, Peter Steelman, he's a local guy. He died from cancer, my wife's brother. I don't know why Peter died. Peter ran marathons, 57, didn't have any bad habits. He ran marathons, got up every morning and ran miles and miles and was fit. But he got cancer and he died. I don't know why he had to die. We were certainly praying for him. And we know that many times we don't know why we pray and those things don't turn out like we think they should. When we know other folks who've not taken that great a care of themselves <laughs> until they're in their 80s or 90s. It's some, things, some things you and I just, we just don't know why that is. Some things though, we do know. Like for example, we might know when something's the right thing to do. We just know it's the right thing to do. I had a client a number of years ago who had lost his wife. He's about 75 and he lost her and he was heartbroken. Really thinking he didn't want to live. And he was considering taking that to the next step. He went over one day to Macy's and he went to the perfume counter and he asked the ladies there, and some of you are familiar with this. Some of you ladies remember those little small vials they would give you that would be samples of perfume? They would give them to you. I don't know if they do anymore, but they'd give you these little small vials of perfume samples. So let's just say his name was Joe. Joe went up to the counter and he asked for one of those vials. And they said, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Smith will say, uh, we don't have any, we're out of those. He must have looked pretty sad to the ladies because they said, Mr. Smith, are you okay? He said, well, I, I came here because I was wanting, getting, wanting to get one of those vials of that perfume. My wife wore it. And I was just thinking that perhaps 
if I could pour a little bit of that on the pillow next to me. I could close my eyes and imagine that I still had her. Well, as you can imagine, he had all the ladies there crying. They broke open a new bottle and they gave him all the vials he wanted. They just knew. Sometimes we know. They knew it was the right thing. I've been telling that story because it, it still moves me because they did the right thing. Sometimes we know. What else do we know? We know in Romans, for example, that the scriptures teaches us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. We, all of us here have done things that are wrong. And I don't think anyone here is going to deny that, less, the least of which is me. We all have a past. We hope to learn from it. If we own it, we'll learn from it. Some folks don't own it. And we know that not only have we sinned, but the scripture also teaches us this. It teaches us the reasons why God sent Christ. In John three seventeen, it says, it says that God sent his son into the world not to condemn us, but to save us. To save us, not to, to beat us down. A lot of things beat us down, but that's not why God, how God worked in this situation. He sent Christ to us to save us through Christ. We also know it's grace through grace that we've been saved. We've been saved by grace through faith. Not that anyone should be able to brag about it or be about us, but it's a gift of God. It's not by our works. It's not by being good. That keeps many of us from getting closer to God because we're just trying to be good. And we know that 1 John 1, 9 and 10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from everything, from all unrighteousness, from anything that he wants to go out of our life. What else do you and I know? Some other things that you and I know. And this is the focus of my message to you today. Suffering is inevitable. And you may be thinking, oh great, I come to church, I'm wanting to be encouraged. I'm wanting to be inspired. And now he's bumming me out. You know, he's, he's talking about suffering. Now, if, if, if we put that on the church website, the speaker today's talking about suffering, it, it might thin the, thin the herd quite a bit. Folks thinking, I don't want to go to church. He's going to be talking about suffering. And I get that. When my father died years ago, I was hypocritical. I didn't go to church on Father's Day. Why? Because the minister of the church I attended, I knew that it would be hard for me. Now, I would encourage my clients, you go in there and go ahead and feel whatever you're going to feel. But I didn't go because I thought it's going to be sad. And I really didn't want to feel sad at church. It's a good place to feel sad. I was a little hypocritical. I didn't go. It caught up with me a couple weeks later because he did this message and reminded me of dad. And of course, I was sad then, so I couldn't dodge it, nor should I. But suffering is inevitable. I'm not trying to bum you out. I just, and I realize that some of you have had a tough year. This has not been an easy year for some of you. You've had some people do some things in your life that you wish they had not done. Some of you have lost folks. It's not been an easy year. But I, I think the reason that I want to talk to you about suffering being inevitable 
is because I'm pretty sure that you come to church because you want somebody to tell you the truth. I did a funeral for a friend of mine. Her husband died about two years ago. And he had a couple ministers that he knew, but his wife asked him, why do you want, who do you want to do your funeral? And surprisingly, she said, he said, I want Stuart Ball to do my funeral. He had heard me speak at some networking luncheons. And she said, why? She said, because I know he'll tell the truth. When we come to this church, I think you come knowing that you want somebody to be straight with you, to tell you the truth. Because it doesn't play out well when we don't tell ourselves the truth. Regardless of what it is, it just doesn't turn out well. Or when, even equally important, when we don't use, when we don't tell other people in our life the truth. We try to cover things up. The cover-up, as you've often heard, is always worse than the event. And you'll hear people say things like, well, I wish you at least told me the truth. I wouldn't have liked what you told me, but I would have liked it. So I'm telling you this today, that suffering is inevitable and God will use suffering. Because when you come to church, you want to hear the truth. And it's because I believe, and I think the elders here share this view, that telling the truth will pay off in the long run. I remember I worked for a bricklayer when I was in high school and I did a toolmaker's apprenticeship and some of those kinds of things. But I remember working for a guy named Don Eby and Don Eby had some folks from his church invite him over to redo their retaining wall. And we looked at it and Don was looking at it and they said, well, what do you think? You think it was because somebody had done a poor job and they said, you think you can fix this? And Don was a pretty abrupt guy, uh, not a fun guy to work for. But he said no. And they were surprised. And they said, so you won't fix it? He said, no, I won't fix it. But I'll tear it out and I'll do it all over because my work is not going with that work. I'm not going to have my name associated with this work. So Don was willing to, to be straight with him and tell him the truth because that in the long run was going to pay off. So if suffering is inevitable, it's important for us to know how God works. How does God do this stuff? How does God work this out in our life? Because if we get it wrong, then we'll have expectations of God that are going to either result in us losing faith or being wondering what's wrong with us. I don't think either one of those is a good idea. So it's important that we tell ourselves the truth and knowing how God works is important. A number of years ago, and I'll tell you about this, a comedian, and he got it wrong, but I liked the joke, so I found a way to put it in this message. He said, you know, when I was a boy, I used to pray that God would give me a bicycle. I prayed and prayed that God would give me a bicycle. And then I realized God doesn't work that way. So I stole one and I asked him to forgive me. <laughs> now that's bad theology, but I think it's a good joke. <laughs> so how does God work? Let's take a look at James, the first chapter, verses two and three. And you've heard this preached before, I'm sure, but hopefully today there'll be some slice of it or some angle or some part of it that you'll say, that's a piece of it that I fail to appreciate. 
How many of you know there's times when you read something in the scriptures and at that time, it doesn't really, you don't really connect with it. It's just not speaking to you that much. And then a year later, you read it and it's, a, it's different. I read a book a number of years ago by a guy named Scott Peck called The Road Less Traveled. And the first time I read that book, I literally, he started off by telling me that life is difficult. And I'm thinking, I don't need this stuff. And I tossed the book, literally. About four or five years later, I opened that book up and I read it cover to cover. I was ready to hear it. I was ready to hear it. So let's see what James has to say about this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Somewhat similar to that in the Gospel of John, he writes in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. King James says, but be of good cheer. Which means take heart. King's English is always a little different. It says, be of good cheer. Take heart. Because I've overcome the world. Now, what is James saying and what is James not saying? By the way, some of you know James was Jesus' half-brother. Same mother, different. Not the same father. Of course, Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And uh, James' father was Joseph. You know, of Joseph and Mary. We got people on our road named Joseph and Mary. Just down the street from us. Some of you might know them. We've got a Joseph and Mary. Not the same one, of course. So what is, what is James saying to us? He said, count it a joy? Here's what I think he's not saying. I don't think he's saying you have to act like you're thrilled about it. Oh, yippee. I'm glad this is coming my way. That doesn't make any sense. And if someone who doesn't know God hears us saying, oh, it's all good, they'll wonder what's wrong with us. Rightfully so. It's not... It doesn't make any sense. We don't have to act like it's okay. Now, we don't want to walk around like a grump. And how many of you know someone that can be a grump? Don't look around. Don't look around. I'm not making eye contact with my wife right now. James is telling you and me, I think, that this suffering certainly is inevitable. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. It's just a matter of when. And he's suggesting to us that we adopt this attitude that this is a when thing. It's not an if thing. And saying to us that if suffering is a given, and I say this to folks that I work with, if suffering is a given, then I've got to decide if I want to suffer for something or I want to suffer for nothing. I almost decided 
to ask some of the worship team people, to, one of two people to stand up here. My wife talked me out of it. To put one over here, and this person was going to be suffering for something, and this person was going to be suffering for nothing. Of course, I wouldn't tell them ahead of time, because then they find out they're the ones suffering for nothing. But James is saying we need to adopt this attitude that if suffering's going to happen, that we can count it a joy because we know that in Christ that we're suffering for something. It's not just that we're just suffering. How many of you know there's times in your life and in my life that if it wasn't for the Lord, you just don't know how you would have gotten through it? You just don't, you don't know. You don't know how you would have made it because your perspective's like, well, what else is there here? Is that it? So James is telling us and encouraging us to adopt the attitude that we're going to suffer, for, that we can choose to suffer for something. So if suffering's going to happen, then what then? What then? What do we, what do, we do if, if suffering is inevitable? How does God use suffering? That's the only difference is whether or not it's for something or for nothing. Let's take a look at what Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. He says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble, in any trouble, with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives because Christ knows what it's like to suffer, obviously. So also through Christ, our comfort can overflow into their life. So one of the reasons we suffer is so that we can be of use to other people. Now, when we're in the midst of suffering, we may not be ready to be of use to them because we're having a hard time ourselves. I know a number of years ago, I was sitting across the table from a fellow named Ed. And Ed was telling me about his son. And sadly enough, Ed's son at age 19 ended his life. And I'll never forget Ed looking at me and saying, Stuart, I was just trying to get him to 25. And I just couldn't get him there. I couldn't get him there. I worked hard and did everything I could. Got him counseling. I just wanted to get him to 25. And I couldn't. But the story doesn't end there. In Bloomington, when someone has a son or daughter who's ended their life, it's not uncommon for folks to call Ed. Because Ed... He's not one of these folks. When Ed says, I understand this, you know he does. Ed's of use to some other people. And God uses Ed to be of use to some other people. And there's something about telling our story that it doesn't cause us to forget our pain. But it's a little bit like if you have a wash rag and it's got some stuff in it and you put it under cold water and you begin to rinse it out. When we tell our story 
and we rinse out that wash rag, it, it, the stain or the stuff that was in the rag starts to become more diluted. When we tell folks what we've been through, when we own, uh, that's probably why some folks will talk about in recovery. They'll talk about, here's, here's my story. In church, we call it, used to call it our testimony. In, in 12-step groups, they call it their lead. Or they might share it with one person to another. And they say, here's my story. And every time we tell that story, it underlines it. Underlines it like writing your first gay girlfriend a letter like, I really like you. And you underline it multiple times. So when we tell this story, and when we're of use to other people, God uses that to help you and I to own our own suffering. And the reality that this stuff has happened. And yes, they are gone. And yes, my son and daughter are making choices that are breaking my heart. And, or they have. God uses that to help us to own it. Because he knows if we don't own our suffering, it has a way of owning us, does it not? You try to act like it's not bothering you. But if you notice when you try to act like something doesn't bother you, it almost makes it worse. It's like not listening to a doctor when they say, keep it elevated. You don't do that, what happens? That ankle injury takes a month instead of two weeks. So how does God use suffering? So that we can be of use to other people. So we can have empathy with other people, not just sympathize, but we can put ourselves in their shoes. That's what the writing is saying, so that we can speak from experience of our relationship with God and what he's doing for us. Excuse me. It might be in this church or somewhere else that you're sitting there with your husband or your wife and you notice someone in church who's lost their wife or their husband and you think to yourself, I wonder if, how it would feel to not have my husband or my wife sitting next to me right now. I wonder how it feels for her or how it feels for him. So empathy dictates to me, I'm going to go over and say, would you mind if we sat next to you? That's what empathy, empathy compels us to do that kind of stuff. It challenges us and we start putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and we invite ourselves over and ask them to do us a favor. Would you, would, you mind, would you mind going to lunch with us today? Nothing fancy. We're just going to go over and get a quesadilla. You can tell where I go. They got me on the, the plan now, now over there. The ultimate show of sympathy and empathy is in Hebrews 4 when Jesus is described as the sympathetic high priest. And in there it says that because he was tempted in every way. Now I encourage you to think about this. It says every way. And you think about all the ways that we can be tempted. It says Jesus was tempted in every way. And because he was tempted, he's able to sympathize with you and with me. He sympathizes with us. Have you ever considered that? That Jesus sympathizes with you. And with me. So how else does God use suffering? God uses suffering to help us get stronger. 
He doesn't want us just to suffer for nothing. He wants to help us get stronger. If I come back and reread that original passage from James. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, let me say a quick thing about about faith. Hebrews 12, about the second verse, I think it is, it says that, that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And what that means to you and me is we are not. We can't just like some songs say, just keeping the faith and expect that we'll have much faith. The prayer might sound something like this. God, you and I both know I've got some doubts here. Help me have more faith. Give me more faith. I need more faith. Because if he's the author and the finisher, or some translations say he's the architect and the builder, the architect knows what the building is supposed to look like. And hopefully the architect and the builder are talking. But in this case, it's one person. He's the author, the finisher, the architect, and the builder. So we need faith. So if we're going to persevere, you and I need to be saying something like this, Lord, I need more. I need you to build that into me. I need you to put that in me and give me more faith because I don't have enough. So he says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So what is, let me go on and talk to you about perseverance and how it makes us stronger, or how God makes us stronger. And then I want to read from Romans the fifth chapter. In Romans, the fifth chapter, verses three through five, this is another way God uses suffering to help us get stronger. It says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Here's that word again. We rejoice. Does it mean we're supposed to act excited? No. We know that suffering produces because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. What is perseverance? It's being able to keep going when we meet obstacles when things are hard, when things are tough, and we're not feeling it, but we know it. We know it's the truth, and we keep pushing forward, and we keep getting it done. We moved into our house uh, just north of town. My wife showed some perseverance because it needed painted on the inside. She painted every room and every ceiling in our house. Now, you know, those of you who have done some painting, you know the painting ceilings are no fun. And she got really good at it. She knew how to learn how to use their brudge and get that great edge and all this kind of stuff. But that was perseverance. Perseverance is continuing to go and, and, and to ask God with God's help to help us. God, I need you to help me. I need you to help me through this. Because sometimes things don't get over quick. Sometimes we don't stop feeling it for a while and we need to persevere. It takes longer than we expect. I tell folks, this is going to take longer than you want it to. Eventually it'll get better, 
but this is going to last longer than you want it to. You're going to be sad longer than you want to. You're going to miss him for a long time. It's going to take a while because I want them to know. I don't want to tell them, oh, you'll be just fine. How many of you know that doesn't help people to say, oh, you're going to be okay? Or don't worry. Since when has that ever worked? Don't worry. Nowhere in history does it say telling someone, don't worry. All of a sudden, their anxiety level just plummeted. Oh, I'm good now. Thank you for that insightful advice. Nowhere does it say. So it takes time and we persevere and we ask God to help us. My A friends will say, I take this one day at a time. I take it one day at a time. Some of us are reminded of the old hymn, I need thee every hour. Sometimes it's not a day at a time, it's an hour at a time. It's I need to just get through to lunch. I just need to get through to dinner. And then I need to get through to bedtime because I go to bed, at least I don't have to think about it anymore, if I can sleep. I don't know the lyrics. I probably jazz them up a little bit, but I need the every hour. One fellow, when I talked to him, he told me, he said, I asked him, how have you managed to stay sober? And he said, well, with God's help, he says, I have done that. He says, but you know, his son had just overdosed. He found his only son with a, with a stinking needle in his arm, overdosed. I said, how have you stayed sober? Because he'd only been sober three months. How have you done this? He said, well, God has helped me. And I just work, Stuart, I'm just working on doing just the next right thing. Just telling the truth every time I get a chance. Going to my meetings, talking to my sponsor, hanging around people who don't drink. I'm just trying to do the next right thing. That's how he persevered. That's how he made it. God helped him. And he didn't tell me, though, that it was easy. And when we have, when we, you and I persevere, there's something that happens. Listen to the writer. He said, this perseverance, it produces character. Now, what is character? Character is, I can describe it to you in terms of our actions, our behavior. Character, after a while, if you persevere, it becomes who you are. You're known for that. You're known that if you shake someone's hand, that it, that it still counts. I always encourage contracts, but a handshake is a darn good place to start. You know that if this person quotes you a job and they, under, they underestimated their cost, they don't try to pass those on to you because you've got a contract. And they lose some of their profit. But character says that that's who he is. That's who she is. That's how they do stuff. So perseverance over a sustained period of time produces character in us. It becomes who we are. We, you know, as we pray and, and we ask God through his spirit to, that he will change us and he'll help us be more like him. It becomes who we are. As we're going through these, these tough times and we're saying, God, I need you to help me here. I'm discouraged. I need you to encourage me through this. I want to make it the character that becomes who we are. And we start knowing, okay, this is what I'm about. I've been down before. I've been through hard times before. And I'll, I'll make it through it again. I'll make it through it again. P. 
Peter talks about character. He says in his writings, he said, if you do the right thing, just because it's the right thing, even if you don't feel like doing it, even if you're not inspired, you'll still be blessed. That's what character looks like. And not to be promoting myself here, but I remember here two or three years ago that my wife was, was, um, she thanked me for being so patient. She said, honey, thank you for being so patient. What she doesn't realize is I wasn't feeling patient at all. But I did what was needed in that situation. And she thanked me for being so patient. So after a while, it becomes who we are. Reading on that this character, it produces a hope that doesn't disappoint us. The writer says this is a hope. It gives us hope and it doesn't disappoint us. So I'm just reminded of the old song that we sang called The Solid Rock. And it says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Sometimes our hopes get misplaced. Leah in the Old Testament, she kept hoping that she gave her husband another child, another son, he would love her. I'll talk to you about that on some other message, but her hope was misplaced. But David's hope, when David fought Goliath, his hope was based on his experience with God. And as we persevere, and as you and I learn to become who we are, we start knowing where hope needs to be. David's hope was in God. When he was getting ready to fight Goliath, Saul was trying to put him, to armor him up. And some of you remember this story where he said, I won't need those. I won't need those. The God who rescued me from the lion and the bear will rescue me, will help me with this uncircumcised Philistine. David knew where his hope was. So what do I want you, what do I want you to be able to take with you when you walk out the doors this morning? I want you to be able to walk out of here and know this. That God really cares about how you're doing. It says that God is a friend to the brokenhearted. And even good people are going to have troubles. I want you to walk out of here knowing that. And so when you see someone who's going through tough times, let me tell you what not to say to them. Do not say to them, God is in control. Especially if they don't know God and they're not used to those kinds of comments. Tell them God loves you and he's going to help you get through this. Tell them that. If you ask him, he'll help you get through it. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment and I'm going to pray and I want you to just pray silently with me if you wish what I'm going to pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that we know that you care about us and you love us and you care about when hard things are hard for us. God, we, we confess that we wish that we had more faith and we need you to give us more. 
God, you know what I'm dealing with right now. God, I need you to help me with that and give me the strength and the courage and the faith that I need to get through it. And I will thank you for that and I'll be grateful for that. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.